Hello, I'm Chief Security Officer Fred Burton, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. To learn more about Stratfor Worldview, ThreatLens, or Stratfor's custom advisory services, visit us at stratfor.com. There's an unpredictability in Kim and in Trump that combined means that you could either come out of here with this really weird deal that's peace in our time, or you could come out with the United States saying, see, we tried diplomatic talks. They absolutely don't work. Now it's time to bomb them. Welcome to the Stratford Podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from Stratford.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. After a year of soaring tensions and heated rhetoric, two key summits with North Korea are now on the horizon. Leaders from North and South Korea will meet on April 27th. And while the details are slim, the United States and North Korea are looking at the potential for a direct sit-down between President Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un to follow soon thereafter. For more insight into what we should or shouldn't expect from either meeting and what makes this round of talks different, Stratfor Chief Security Officer Fred Burton sits down with Vice President of Strategic Analysis Roger Baker for this episode of the Stratfor Podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, joined today with uh, my good friend and colleague Roger Baker. Roger, we have two key summits coming up with uh, Korea, the first being the Inter-Korean Summit and the second, the U.S.-North Korea summit. Which is the more important? Well, I think ultimately the the question is, if there is a U.S. and North Korean summit, that that certainly would be the more important. The South uh, Korean-North Korean summit is really the third time we've seen one of these. It's not that it doesn't matter, um, and it's not that it isn't what will lay the groundwork for uh, a lot of what's happening on the Korean Peninsula and the more tactical potentials for cooperation, easing tension there. But the idea of a summit between the leaders of North Korea and the United States is, is you know, a, a, a fairly amazing thing, uh, particularly since there is no diplomatic relations between the two countries. And the two countries are technically only in an armistice. So they're still sort of at a state of war with each other uh, since the 1950s. Where do you think the U.S.-North Korea summit would be held? Well, this gets into the really confusing uh, and difficult aspect. The North Koreans have hinted that they would love to have it in Pyongyang. Hmm. Um, I bet they would. I'm sure they would. That would show to the world that even the United States president is willing to come to North Korea. I mean, it puts North Korea as clearly an equal with the other big powers. The South Koreans and the North Koreans look like they're going to be having their summit in Kaesong. Or, or or in Pamunjom, in the border city. And that gives you an ability to have it where it's sort of in this neutral ground. It's controlled by uh, the, the, the sort of that United Nations oversight as well as the North Koreans. It's possible, for example, that the U.S. and the North Korean leader also meet there, that this test, this South Korean summit would be a test of that as a viable space. There's been some talk about potentially meeting in uh, northern Europe in some neutral country. Uh, the the question comes down to what is the politics you want to get out of where the location is? And I think a secondary question would be what would be the security? For example, what would be necessary for a U.S. president to uh, fly into Pyongyang and, and feel safe and confident in doing that? Well, we've certainly had Jimmy Carter, who was uh, 
a Secret Service protectee, granted a former president uh, traveled to North Korea in the past. So behind the scenes, as we were chatting in the office yesterday, these kinds of logistics uh, can be worked out. Uh, surprisingly, uh, the security services of uh, nations that are usually at war or even engaged in uh, some challenging diplomatic requirements at times, uh, it's amazing to me as to how – uh, behind the scenes, the the agent standing post, the protection that goes about uh, affording these kinds of venues to take place uh, do occur somewhat seamlessly. So uh, is it beyond the realm of possibilities that President Trump could travel to North Korea? Uh, I certainly would not rule that out. Uh, I think that the Secret Service uh, is certainly very capable of protecting him wherever he might go. And no nation state wants to be responsible for any kind of problems affecting these kinds of visits, especially uh, something surrounding uh, this kind of historic event. But um, I, I think that's going to be very fascinating to watch play out as to where this summit might occur. But, Roger, how do you assure that there's something that comes out of this that's that's nothing more than a, than a photo op? Well, I mean, I don't think you can assure anything on this. There's a long history of distrust uh, between the United States and North Korea. There's a long history of broken promises by each side, of agreements and deals that have fallen apart. Uh, and I think both sides are going into this eyes wide open that there is no guarantee coming out of it. But by having the two leaders sit down, instead of going through the typical second or third tier channels and the complexities of North Korean negotiating strategy and U.S. bureaucracy and, and the politics behind dialogue and things of that sort, I think there is, there is an unexpected space for something different this time around. Again, it's, it's, it's. In what way? What do you mean? In what way? Well, um, normally you would have the North Koreans, for example, come in and they would almost have their watches set to have moments to get up and walk out of talks. Uh, anything that would potentially be a an agreement, they would simply say, well, we can't answer that, and they would leave for two days and go back to Pyongyang and figure it out. Um, the Americans would be very concerned about how would this play politically in the United States? What's the cost of the politician who makes a particular action or agreement or not agreement, particularly with the track record of these agreements? But when you put the two of them together, you can ease some of that away. Trump is in some ways a bit of a unique president. He continues to act in ways that seem to be outside the norm of what a normal politician would work within. In other words, he seems to be willing to accept uh, actions that most U.S. politicians, particularly presidents, wouldn't do because of the political imagery. Uh, he has a different set of political imagery that he seems to be uh, uh, shaped by and doesn't worry about these. So there is some space, I think, for the two of them to come in, make some sort of radical, drastic deal. And I think that Trump wants to show what a, quote, good deal would be uh, in contrary to the JCPOA with Iran. We'll return to our conversation with Stratfor's Fred Burton and Roger Baker in just one moment. But if you'd like to dig deeper into these issues, you'll find no greater resource than our extensive analysis and geopolitical forecasting at Stratfor Worldview. Roger Baker goes into great detail about how circumstances have changed on the Korean Peninsula ahead of these summits in his commentary, cheekily titled Cheeseburgers in the Workers' Paradise. We've also published extensive research and analysis in a series called Handling a Nuclear North Korea. That's where our analysts wargame a scenario for any potential U.S. strike on North Korea and examine the cost that would be paid by U.S. allies and others in the region. We'll include links to both of those in the show notes. 
If you're not already a Stratfor Worldview member, you can learn more about individual, team, and enterprise-level access at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Now back to our conversation on North Korea and two upcoming summits with Stratfor's Fred Burton and Roger Baker. Who's got the most to gain here, Roger, by this summit, the U.S. or North Korea? South Korea. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I mean, in some sense, we've been sitting here and looking, you know, six months ago, we were sitting here talking about uh, the likely potential for conflict on the Korean Peninsula. And well, certainly the North Koreans would lose that and the United States, South Korea would be would be devastated. And South Korea is a, a modern economy. It's a modern nation, high standard of living, one of the top 15 economies in the world. And they would be devastated in this war. Infrastructure damage, economic damage. I mean, the, it would throw the country back decades. So even a sense of easing the likelihood of imminent war is a huge victory for South Koreans, even if nothing good comes out of these talks in the long term. It has broken that that perception uh, of of uh, destruction coming. But the North Koreans would gain a lot. If the North Koreans can get rec- diplomatic recognition from the United States, it may finally break them out of their di- uh, diplomatic and economic isolation. If the United States can get a relatively decent deal out of the North Koreans that eases the sense of the North Korean nuclear program and the North Korean threat that allows the United States to shift its attention to the rising challenges of places like China and Russia. Politically, how does this play in the United States for Donald Trump? Uh, again, it's real hard to, to measure because it's hard to measure who uh, he really tries to look for politically. On the one hand, there was a lot of criticism of the president prior to this point because he wasn't apparently willing to engage with North Korea. And everyone said, you at least need some form of dialogue. You shouldn't just keep talking about war. Now, the, the, this, uh, many of the same individuals and same sources are now saying uh, the president is, is not very smart for falling for the North Korean tricks and dialogue is not going to accomplish anything. I don't think there's a way to win in the U.S. unless there's some sort of amazing breakthrough. But even if there's not, at least there's this bold attempt at trying dialogue. And as, and as I look at this, I think something that keeps coming into my head, too, again, if this summit happens, um, and maybe you can you can answer this. Let's assume that Trump goes to Pyongyang, right? Okay. What happens to the nuclear football that everyone's been talking about? <laughs> I think that, uh, uh, well, that will certainly be a topic of conversation at the National Security Council, but I think that they would uh, – leave that football in the good hands of Vice President Pence uh, during that window of time in all probability, uh, just in case uh, there there's some uh, sort of uh, problem with uh, the president being in North Korea. But one of the more interesting aspects, uh, as I think about this too, is China on the sidelines here uh, watching this. Uh, and what kind of um, reaction do you think they have as a result of uh, – a potential North Korea-U.S. summit. Interesting thing here is that this time around, and this is why I think we have to think about this dialogue with the U.S. differently. This time around, the North Koreans have positioned it in a way where they have brought the United States to the table. And the Chinese did not facilitate that, right? The The last time that happened was 1994 when Carter went to North Korea. Yeah, I remember that well. Um, yeah, bit, bit of a kerfluffle at the... Uh, State Department when that happened. <laughs> um, but but it, that's really the last time. Since then, for the most part, China has been the facilitator of dialogue and therefore the one who can shape the, the direction and path of the outcome. The North Koreans have really cut the Chinese off politically for the past several years. And they've arranged this 
through the South Koreans, given the South Koreans a little leg up and being the one who can go and, and claim that they delivered the message to the United States, got the positive response. But they're the ones doing it. So now the Chinese are trying to find a way to come back in and make sure that they understand what's going on, that they have a role in this. And that's where Kim's visit to Beijing was very different than it would have been if he was asking the Chinese for help. Instead, he came to tell the Chinese what's going on. Now, realistically, he's also asking to make sure that the Chinese keep backing sure. him. Uh, there's likely to be a, a summit sometime maybe after the, the U.S. and South Korean summit with the Russian president and the North Korean leader. He needs those other support spaces. But he's really repositioned China's role here. I think the Chinese aren't as worried because there's so many things that can go wrong here. Uh, and for them, at least it's not like the U.S. is preparing to attack. Um, but but they do have a little bit of concern on just how far this could go. There's an unpredictability in Kim and in Trump that combined means that you could either come out of here with this really weird deal that's peace in our time and Ch and North Korea acting like China did back in the 70s and becoming the new ally of the U.S. to counter the Chinese – or you could come out with the United States saying, see, we tried diplomatic talks. They absolutely don't work. Now it's time to bomb them. Yeah, that's very interesting. I know from the, the various events that I've been associated with, whether it be the Middle East peace conferences, the Bosnian Serb uh, conferences that we held and so forth, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on in the edges and the margins of all these uh, events, meaning – your sidebar discussions between your, your your diplomats. And as we were chatting in our office yesterday, Roger, uh, there, there's not much of a window into how the lower-level North Korean diplomats operate. Uh, uh, do you see anything coming out of that, meaning what, what could come out on the margins of, of this kind of uh, event, meaning uh, are there other kind of things that could fall, th fall out, such as Better cooperation on, I don't know, terrorism, travel, or something along these lines. What what do you see potentially also coming out of this? I mean, at minimum, you get uh, new paths of dialogue. Traditionally, the lower-level North Korean diplomats really had almost no uh, authority of their own. And that made it very complicated when people would deal with them in track 2, track 1.5, even track 1 dialogue. It, it, it wasn't really having direct dialogue with the North Koreans. Most of that was having... Uh, dialogue that was being controlled back from Pyongyang. So it may be that the North Koreans in this, if they're looking at at facilitating, um, even if it's just uh, President Trump going to Panmunjom and the North Korean leader being there, there's going to have to be real working level um, dialogue and cooperation between the North Korean security services and the U.S. Secret Service. Absolutely. Um, and that in and of itself gives some interesting insights into North Korea, into how it works. And then secondarily, I would expect that the North Koreans, if they have any sense of seriousness about this, are not going to be d doing this through their third tier diplomats. They're going to identify uh, new people who uh, have a greater amount of authority to have regularized dialogue with the United States. Yeah, and you raise a good point uh, with that comment about that the dialogue and the logistics of pulling one of these things off uh, in general it takes a tremendous amount of coordination, not only with – Secret Service advanced teams, but uh, uh, U.S. embassy involvement with North Korean diplomats, and would this be handled out of uh, uh, Washington D.C. or would this be pushed out to Seoul, for example, for the logistics? So, those are the kinds of things that behind the scenes would would obviously be fascinating, and and just the th the sheer size of the three ring circus that travels uh, with uh, the president anywhere in the world from. 
you mentioned the nuclear football to just the White House staff. And, and I, I guarantee you, I, I know there'd be a lot of people that just would want to be a part of this because history could be taking place here uh, or will be, and, and Lord knows what could come out of it. But uh, uh, from that standpoint, I think it's going to be the kind of event that everybody's going to want to be involved in. And so that does also pose unique challenges. But to me, the the interesting part would that be, could you see, for example, uh, the U.S. Secretary of Defense meeting with the North Korean Minister of Defense uh, in a sidebar meeting. And so those kinds of things uh, would be just really fascinating to watch unfold. Yeah, and, and and as we look at this, I mean, the reality is that the the history and the constraints and the likely failure points, the outcome is almost guaranteed to be poor. Right. But there's that small percent that we could be at a different moment in time with different players, with different pressures on them, with different capabilities, that we could actually finally have a, a, a breakthrough. And as you note, just that small chance is going to make this a really interesting and, and potentially extremely important meeting to be watching. Thanks so much, Roger. Thank you, Fred. And that's all for this episode of the Stratfor Podcast. Remember to check out the show notes for links to related articles online at Stratfor Worldview. And be sure to stay tuned for our upcoming analysis as we approach these key moments related to North Korea. We'll also include a link to Stratfor's 2018 annual forecast. While others were looking at an imminent war back in December, we forecast this for the year. Though the threat of war in the Korean Peninsula can't be ruled out, the United States will probably try to avoid a costly preventative strike against the North's nuclear weapons program that would plunge the global economy back into recession. Definitely worth reading if you want to understand the geopolitical constraints that nations and decision makers face. If you're not already a Worldview member, you can learn more about individual, team and enterprise access at stratfor.com. Worldview members can also contribute to this conversation and engage with Stratfor's analysts, editors, and contributors in our members-only forum. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis, and forecasting that reveal the underlying significance and future implications of emerging world events, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Stratfor.